Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence among us this morning. Thank you for the blessing of fellowship, being together again this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us in this way. Thank you, too, especially for your word that is for, before us. Bless Ron as he preaches your word. Thank you that you have anointed him for the spirit, and may you continue to do so. Help us as hearers to be uh, listeners and doers of the word as well. Pray your blessing further in Jesus' name. Amen. Greetings in Jesus' precious name this morning, and <clears throat> welcome to our time of worship here this morning. It's really good to be back here this morning, especially to have all of our family here. It's been a number of weeks due to sickness and weather and things that have prevented uh, my family from all being here together. So it's good to be here with you all and in decent health again today. For a message this morning, um, I've chosen to preach on a passage that has been on my mind for, for quite a while. Um, this passage was brought to my attention, and I read through it and was fascinated and, and challenged by the words here, by God's message to his people. The chapter I want to look at this morning is taken from the book of Isaiah, and it's chapter 58. So this morning we'll, we'll read this passage and then um, look at a few points that God um, shares with his people and his desire for them. So Isaiah 58, and I'll be reading um, the whole chapter, all, all 14 verses. <coughs> Starting out in verse 1, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily, and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, ye find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? <clears throat> is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, that thou shalt bring the poor that, that are cast out to thy house? <clears throat> when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh, then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine help shall spring forth speedily. And thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Then shall he, thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here am I. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, the speaking of vanity, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. 
And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And they shall be, and they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. They shall raise up the foundations of many generations and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. <coughs> if thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasures, nor speaking thy own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So I think in this passage we see um, God speaking to his people and asking them to serve him with a genuine love for him. So we'll go through this passage um, kind of verse by verse and, and look what God has to say. And the first thing we notice as we read the opening verse of this passage is that God is calling the people to repentance. He calls Isaiah to preach repentance to the people of God. And this repentance was not for the heathen, but it was for those who had professed to be God's people, people who were religious. And God is sending them a message, a warning to his people to, so that they have the opportunity to repent. He gave them the opportunity to make their relationship right with him. God gave Isaiah some instructions on how to present this message. And he gave him three pointers. The first one he said is cry aloud, you know, preach it from the rooftop, proclaim it as a town crier would. I don't know if you're familiar with a town crier in the old days where someone was in charge of going around and spreading the news. This was how Isaiah was to be with this message. Number two is don't hold back. God tells him don't hold back on this message. You know, don't gloss over the issue at hand. Don't beat around the bush. And then thirdly was raise your voice like a trumpet. And as we think about a trumpet and what that meant to the people in the Old Testament, <clears throat> like first of all, if we go back to the, the first few statements, God wanted to proclaim loudly and a trumpet would do that. This message was for all to hear far and wide. And secondly, as we think about a trumpet and what it was used for today, it correlates well with what is at stake here. Trumpets were used to get people's attention and to warn them of danger. For example, in, if we think back to Nehemiah, when they were building the wall around Jerusalem, they used a trumpet to warn the uh, builders when there was an attack coming. Nehemiah had instructed the people to, to work, and they carried a weapon in the, with, on the other hand that they were, weren't using to work. And when the trumpet was blown, everyone was to run to the place that the attack was happening to prevent their city from being defeated. The same thing was happening here in a spiritual sense. God was calling Isaiah to speak out, to blow the trumpet because of the spiritual danger his people were in. The enemy was defeating them, and they weren't even aware of it. They thought they were on the right track, but they had missed the mark. So in a sense, this situation was even more dire than an attack in Nehemiah's day. 
Eternity was at stake for these people, and they needed to be ma made aware of the situation that they were in. Thankfully, God still gives us the opportunity to repent today, and he can warn us in a variety of ways. You know, sometimes it's as we study his word, maybe it's as we listen to his word being taught or preached. Another time it might be a friend, and sometimes it's the still small voice of the spirit warning of us <coughs> to turn from the path we're on. You know, God doesn't do this out of condemnation and judgment, but he does it so that we can have life again. He desires that our lives be whole. He desires the best for us and that we might have peace and restitution in our lives. So many times our human nature resists these changes because we feel it, in, it infringes on our independence and our freedom. But it, what our human nature fails to take into account is that as we surrender our will to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that is where we find true freedom. You know, Christ is still calling us to repentance today, even today. He invites us, not a condemning way, but to give us life. As John 3.17 says, says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So the question for myself that I asked myself this morning is, am I willing to accept the messages from God that warn me where I have gone wrong? When I haven't lived in the ways of Christ, am I willing to listen to God as he points out that in my life? Oftentimes, our human hearts wants to put us in the place of the prophet where we're spreading the message, the warning. But Christ calls us first to examine our own lives, and we see that in Luke 7, verses 3 and 5. And I like how the NIV puts this. It puts, paints a picture that we can understand well. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, own, your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you shall see clearly to remove the speck from, our bro from your brother's eye. Jesus here uses what we would call a hyperbole to drive home the point that he's trying to make. Similar to the time when he told the Pharisees that they were straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. <clears throat> you know, we're not walking around with a two-by-four, you know, protruding from our eye. Or the Pharisees weren't, you know, eating a whole camel. But what Jesus is teaching us here is that our human tendency is to avoid the big issue in our own hearts. And we focus on the little minute details that might be off in our brother's life. And I think the challenge here is, is to be open to repent as God warns us of our sinful ways. So moving on, next I want to look at verses 2 through 4. And here's the message that God had for his people. <clears throat> it was that they had corrupted worship. Their worship was flawed in, in verse 2. It talks about that the people, they, you know, they said, they seek me daily, they delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. You know, if we were to just read that verse, we would think that they were doing very well. 
But if we stop and consider the things that they were doing here, none of it was actually putting into practice the ways of God. They had a lot of head knowledge. They had a lot of good theology, but it wasn't resulting in godly fruit. <coughs> God desires more than just lip service to him and a head knowledge. And we find that in 1 John 3, which we've been studying in Sunday school. It says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at peace in his presence. <coughs> so here we see that God, even in the Old Testament, was not looking for formalism, but he was looking for a relationship with his people. And I think those of you who that were in discipleship class this morning had a good introduction to this, how God desires a relationship with us. You know, we don't do the things um, we were talking about, um, like personal devotions and prayer and things like that. We don't do those just to try to earn God's favor, but we do them out of our love and devotion to God. And in verse 3, we see the people were asking the question, you know, why are you not hearing us, God? <clears throat> why have we done all these things? Why have we fasted? Why have we prayed? You know, why have we done all these things, and yet you don't hear? In verse 4, God gives them the answer to this question. They were fasting and praying <coughs> for strife and debate. <coughs> Instead of practicing fasting in the way that God had designed, they were using it as a way to elevate themselves. <coughs> this was cutting off their relationship with God. And as we see it later in the chapter, our words and how we speak to others if affects our prayer life. God wouldn't hear them because their hearts were filled with strife and violence. God hasn't given us his commandments and principles to generate animosity, arguments, and debate. Now, as we're, are we seeking God and studying the scriptures to get back at other people, or are we seeking it out of a true love for God and a heart of service to others? Now, this is what the people in this situation were doing. <coughs> They were using the ways of God to get back at others. If the commands of God you know, doesn't produce love and holiness in our lives, we need to examine our hearts and to see what spirit is, is there. And in verse 5, we see that they were making a di big display of their, their fast. They made an outward display, this display of mourning and sorrow, but that was all in vain because of their, the condition of their heart was still one of wickedness, contention, and strife. Now let's look at verses 6 and 7, and here we see God pointing out to them what he truly was <coughs> desiring for them. We see what the genuine fast and genuine wa worship looked like as, as God wanted to see it from his people. And we see that true change in worship comes from our love and service to God and to others. And this is how the true love of God shines in the world. In verse 6, the, there's a couple points that the true fast of God <coughs> would have. <coughs> and the first one is it facilitates deliverance from wickedness instead of perpetuating it as these people's fast was doing. A true fast of God would not unduly burden their fellow men. They were oppressing 
their fellow men, their workforce, while they were um, participating in their fast. But instead of oppressing, oppression, this fast would bring deliverance. I'd like to read um, a few verses from Micah. Uh, Micah 6, 1 through 8, that also talks, um, gives us a similar um, <coughs> similar story as this. I'm going to be reading from Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. <coughs> Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountain, the Lord's controversy, and, strong, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed thee out of the house of the ser of servants, and set sent thee sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. <coughs> o my people, remember now what Balak king of Moab consulted, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of <coughs> rivers of oil? <coughs> shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee? but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. So here we have the prophet Micah echo the words of Isaiah. God's desire for his people is that they would live in the way of mercy, to live justly, and to walk in a spirit of humility. And we see Isaiah calling the people to this as well. <coughs> And in verse 7, we, also, we see a continuation of what God was saying in, in verse 6. Genuine worship of God will manifest itself in God's people meeting the needs they see around them. The true children of God will minister to the needy and the outcasts. He talks about bringing the poor into the house in verse 7, and that reminds us of the parable of the wedding where the master went out into the streets and got, brought the outcasts in to join the wedding feast. At times we hear people and organizations critiqued for focusing on, on people's physical needs. You know, there's the critique that they should be focused on just sharing the gospel. But as we read scripture, we find that God's heart is very much for the needs, the physical needs of people to be met. He t often talks about the poor and the needy being clothed and given food and provided for. So I think that's very near and dear to God's heart is that we minister to the needs of those around us. What I've found as I study scripture, that is very close to God's heart. God talks about that being the fruit of his children. 
And when that's missing in our lives is because of our failure to see who God is and our relationship with the Father is broken. <coughs> now that we see what God was looking for in worship from his people, let's look at some of the fruits, the results of that worship. And, you know, I think this passage could possibly be misunderstood is that if we meet the needs of, of the, the poor and needy, that this is going to happen. But I think what God is trying to, to drive home here in this passage is that we need to have a relationship with him first. And then these will be the fruits that come, come from that. The first five verses of this chapter had painted a pretty dark and bleak picture for where God's people were at. And in verse seven, six and seven, like I said, we were showed what God really desired for his people in worship. And then in verse eight through the end of the chapter, we see the contrast of living for God instead of for ourselves. It changes to a joyful message as God shows us <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> what pleases him and the effect that that will have in our lives. So let's observe what God tells us here. And, and just remember, as we, we go through this, you know, we can think this is the Old Testament scripture and that this doesn't apply to us, but we'll find very many of these paralleled in the New Testament. So I think it is very relevant for us today. Looking at verse 8, he begins with the, by using the word then. He's referring back to verses 6 and 7, you know, when these things are present in your life, then these will be the fruits. And he talks about the light breaking forth in your light, in your life as in the morning. You know, we think about that. We think of the dawn of a new day. <clears throat> I get to watch quite a few sunrises with the uh, occupation I have, and there's nothing like going from the dark night to the beautiful sunrise and then to have the sun come up over the, the horizon, and it's a beautiful new day, and it's, everything is fresh and new. And we rejoice in a new day. And I get the picture. Um, that's what God is trying to say here. The light will break forth in your life as the morning. As we put those um, selfish desires and, and focusing on ourselves behind us and focus on God and focus on others, there will be a new light, a new dawn in our life. Moving on to verse 9. As I had said earlier, how we relate to others and the words we speak to them will affect our prayer life. <clears throat> it says, Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here am I, if thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and the speaking of vanity. Here we see the, the spirit of accusations, finger pointing, and it says speaking vanity, but I think that's referring to speaking wickedness or evil about others. So if we do those things, it will hinder our relationship and our prayer life with God. So as we remove that from our life, God will be near. You know, the people in the, the first portion of this chapter, they were struggling to know why God was not near, why he wasn't listening to them. And this is most likely why. They harbored ill will in their hearts, and therefore their prayers were hindered. In verse 10, we see again the need to provide for those who are suffering. And as we do that, we see again the light of God coming to our lives as we minister to those in need. It says, God will take away the darkness in our lives, and instead our hearts will be 
filled with the light as a noonday. There again, we have the contrast of utter darkness at night to light as the, the noonday, as the noon sunshine, the brightest portion of the day. Those who have the love of God in their heart will minister to those in need and be leave behind the darkness. Moving on to verse 11. It talks about our hearts, our lives being as a watered garden, as a spring of water. And as we live in service to God, he will guide us and direct us even in the difficult times. As we think about a drought, that's a time of scarcity and, and difficulty, but God says he will be there and guide us even in the difficult times in our life. You know, there's, all of us will at some point in time have difficulties, and God is promising he will provide and care for us as we go through their time, those times. Our souls will be nourished. They will not wither, but they will be like a watered garden. <clears throat> and also, in, in verse 12, there's a beautiful picture. It says, talks about God's people will be known as people of restoration. They will bring healing to brokenness, and they will repair what has been broken down. This is in quite stark contrast to what we saw at the beginning of the chapter, where it talks about tension, arguments, and wickedness. But instead here, the people of God would be known as those who restore the walls that have been broken down. You know, the story of Scripture is that of restoration. From the beginning of the Bible to the end, God is working out the restoration, first of all, of his relationship with mankind. And then as that relationship is restored, we can have our personal relationships with each other restored. God wants to restore all mankind to himself. <coughs> and he wants us to be restored to each other. As his people, it's our, it's our mission to help in that restoration, as we see in this passage. And then in verse 14, I think this is a good contrast to what we saw at the beginning. It says, Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. You know, as we started out this chapter, it, it, it talks about a group of people who delighted to draw close to God. And now as we, we, we wrap it up here, we see people again delighting to know God. But there's a stark contrast in the outcome here. The first group of people were asking, why are you not noticing God? Why are you so far away? And then here at the end, we see God providing richly for, for those, these people that delighted in the Lord. And I think the, the difference here is that the, pe the first people were delighting to draw near to God for their own benefit. But the people at the end, they, were, they are drawing nigh to God because of their love for God and their love for others. My, my prayer is that that could be our testimony this morning. So just a few thoughts um, and in closing here. <clears throat> you know, as we look at this example of formalism, complacency, this example of, you know, improper focus, these people focusing on their own comfort, welfare, and theology instead of the glory of God and their fellow man, I believe if we are honest with ourselves, we have to, have to admit we are human just like we, they were, and this is a trap that we can all fall into.
the bent of our natural man is to look out for our own welfare and comfort. You know, it wasn't that God didn't want these people to seek him or to know his ways or to fast. It was, doing, it was that they were doing it for the wrong reasons. <clears throat> and I think we, we need to look to, to Jesus um, as our model, as our example to follow. You know, Jesus came from heaven to earth. First of all, he honored God with his life. He came to earth to do the will of the Father. And you see that in John 5, 19. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these things also doeth the Son, doeth the Son likewise. Jesus lived in such a way that the Father's name was honored and glorified. Now, even as he himself was part of the Godhead, he came under the will of his Father. And as we, he came to the cross, he said, not my will, but thine be done, you know, speaking about his heavenly Father. So as we yield to the Lordship of, of Christ and, and live under his leadership, we will also be like the people in verse 14. And then also Jesus lived a life of empathy. As he started his ministry, he tells us what his mission was. You could say this was his mission statement. <coughs> he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And as Jesus is our example, he desires that we follow in the footsteps that he has laid out for us. As we see the pain, the brokenness, and suffering this, in this world, our response, like Jesus, should be one of empathy. And I think as we observe events in this world, the conflict, you know, around the globe, we should take opportunities to show empathy like Jesus did. You know, since in the last two or three years, there have been multiple wars and conflicts that have broken out. Many people have lost their lives Many lives have been disrupted and, and people pushed from their homes, people dying because of people, other people's selfishness. And I think as people of God, we should have empathy and serve in whatever ways we can. And my prayer is that God would give us eyes that recognize the needs around us and hands that are willing to serve. And lastly, we need the help of the Holy Spirit, the word of God, and our fellow believers to examine our hearts so we don't get stuck in the same rut that these people had. <clears throat> Isaiah was speaking to a group of people who were familiar with God and his commands. They were seeking God. They were praying. They were asking him for, for wisdom and guidance. They were keeping his fast, and yet God was saying they had, had transgressed. I think this shows us how deceptive our own hearts can be. So my desire for myself and for each one of us is that we could humbly come before the Lord and ask him to reveal any ways that we might have corrupted worship in our hearts, ways that we are tr transgressing against him and how we can live in a way that honors him and that shows his love to those around us. As we do that, we can find restoration and true life in our lives. These thoughts, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. <clears throat>
loving Father in heaven, we bow before you today and we thank you that you care <coughs> and love each one of us. And our desire this morning as we come before you is that we would worship you with a true heart of worship, that we would honor you in our worship, and that we would serve those around us in a way that would honor your name. We just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> 